It's time to discover your spiritual identity with your host, Mike Shree. There are hundreds of names and titles given to God's people that powerfully reveal who you are, why you exist, and what your purpose is in this world. Each one pulls back the veil of a different aspect of who you are in Christ. Once you learn these names and titles and apply them to your life, you will rise up boldly to be all that God has called you to be. Are you ready? Here's Mike Shree. Welcome to Discover Your Spiritual Identity. It is so important for believers to find out who God says you are. There are hundreds, literally hundreds of names and titles in the Word of God that God has given to His sons and daughters, and each one expresses in a very unique way something about your calling, your purpose, your inheritance, your destiny, what an unveiling takes place when you get that combined knowledge. You see this panoramic view of who you are in Christ. It is absolutely one of the most empowering experiences that you can ever have as a child of God. The only thing that compares to it is discovering the names and titles of God. Now, that's the most important thing. But next, right underneath that, is to discover the names and titles of the children of God. And that's what Discover Your Spiritual Identity is all about. Now, on this particular episode, I'm about to unveil one of the most amazing names given to the new covenant people of God. It's found in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 23. We are referred to as the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. Now that whole passage from verse 18 to verse 24 is comparing the Old Testament with the New Testament, the Old Covenant with the New Covenant, the law with grace, Mount Sinai with Mount Zion. And, and the conclusion is that you have not come to Mount Sinai where the law was given and where fear was gripping the hearts of the children of Israel who heard the thunderclap of God's voice. But you have come to Mount Zion. Now, what's the difference between the two? Mount Sinai created a barrier between God and mankind. It showed how exceedingly sinful our sinful status was. It proved the depravity of the flesh and how far we have fallen short of the glory of God. But Mount Zion is all about intimacy with God and fellowship and connection and forgiveness and mercy. See, Mount Zion was where David set up the tabernacle to put the Ark of the Covenant when it was brought back from Philistine captivity. And much to the consternation of the religious authorities, there was no separating veil in the tabernacle of David, but the ark was right there in the midst of the attending priests. And the primary thing that happened all day long, all night long, 24-7, was worship and adoration and thanksgiving and praise. There wasn't this constant 
offering up of sacrificial animals, a reminder of the awful outcome of sin being death and having to have a substitutionary animal to die in your stead. Instead of that, it was celebration. And the Bible said, you have come to Mount Zion. This word Zion means fortress. You've come to a fortress of faith, a fortress of hope in a world full of unbelief and despair. You've come to a fortress of joy and a fortress of peace in a world full of depression and anxiety. See, you have come to Mount Zion and you are part of the general assembly and church of the firstborn. That phrase, the church of the firstborn, means, according to one translation that I read, the church in which every member is considered to be a firstborn son. So there's no big eyes, there's no little use, the ground is level at the cross, the blood of Jesus has made us all holy unto the Lord, so we are equally holy in his sight and equally accepted in his sight. What a wonderful thing to realize that in God's eyes, from heaven's perspective, you are a firstborn son. Now, the revelation of this widens in scope when you go back into the Old Testament and see the heritage of the firstborn, how it passed down through the patriarchal line. The first thing that I notice is that no one who qualified in the flesh for the firstborn son status got it. See, Abraham's literal firstborn son was Ishmael, but who received the firstborn son status? His second son, Isaac, not the one that qualified in the flesh, but the one who was chosen of God in the spirit. Then Isaac had Jacob and Esau. Jacob was the second son. Esau was the first. And yet Jacob was the one who received the firstborn son status. Jacob had 12 sons and the firstborn literally was Reuben. But the firstborn son status passed to his 11th son, Joseph, to whom he gave the coat of many colors. And then Joseph had two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. Manasseh was the literal firstborn son, but the prophetic word declared that Ephraim was God's firstborn choice. So over and over again, God's driving home a message that those who are included in the church of the firstborn don't get included because they qualify in the flesh. You see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God has chosen those things that are weak to confound the mighty. And God has even chosen things that are not to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. See, if you are part of the church of the firstborn, you can only qualify by the grace of God being applied to your life, despite your weaknesses, despite your faults, despite the terribleness of your past. You're washed in the blood of Jesus. You come to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. 
That's right there in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 24, the verse following the verse that contains this title for God's people. It says, we have come to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. Well, see, God told Cain that his brother's blood spoke from the ground. Have you ever wondered what God was referring to? That the blood of Abel, who was slain by his brother Cain, was crying out and God heard it? What was it that the blood of Abel cried out for? I believe that Abel cried out for mercy. I believe he was such a meek and humble and loving person that his blood did not cry out for judgment. If it had, then Cain would have been slain. Cain would have been crushed with a judgment that wiped him out of existence. But instead, God put a mark on Cain that no one would slay him. So he deserved judgment and instead he got mercy. So the blood of Abel must have cried out for mercy. And we've come to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than the blood of Abel. Well, what did the blood of Jesus cry out for? Not just mercy. Mercy means you don't get what you do deserve, but it still leaves you in a limbo of nothing really coming to you that is abundant or extravagant. But grace means you get what you don't deserve. See, justice means you get what you deserve. Mercy means you don't get what you deserve. But grace means you get what you don't deserve. You and I do not deserve the joy of the Lord that is unspeakable, the peace that passes understanding, the love that surpasses knowledge. We do not deserve eternal life and a future destiny of being glorified as the saints of the Almighty God. But this is what we have received because we are recipients of grace. We're part of the church of the firstborn, and anyone included among the firstborn receives it, not because of fleshly advantage, but because of the grace of God. Now, when you look back to the patriarchal line, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, there's also some other noticeable things about the firstborn son. In fact, it was a law in Israel. It was an expectation in Israel that the firstborn son would receive the double portion. Now, that did not mean twice as much as the other brothers and sisters in the family. Even though it sounds like that, traditionally, if you go back in history, the phrase double portion meant the exceptional amount, the majority, the main part of the inheritance passed to the firstborn son and what was and whatever was left over was distributed among the rest. Well, we have received a double portion. If we are part of the church of the firstborn, we've received a double portion. See, Jesus was called the firstborn of all creation, the firstborn from the dead, firstborn among many brethren, so if Jesus was the firstborn of the new covenant, he had a double portion inheritance. Well, what was it? He was the word made flesh and he had the spirit without measure. Those were the two primary things he inherited from the father, the word and the spirit. And those are the two things that have passed to you, the church of the firstborn. You have been begotten of the word 
and you have been born of the Spirit. I got my double portion. I got my firstborn son inheritance because no matter what I face in life, that combination of the word and the spirit will make me more than a conqueror in all these things. Also, the firstborn son received the authority of the father passed to him. At Abraham's demise, the firstborn son, Isaac, received the authority of Abraham passed to him as well as the blessing of Abraham passed to him. Well, in like manner, if we are part of the church of the firstborn and Jesus was the one who came as the prototype of all who would yet come, then that same kind of authority, certainly not absolutely the same level of authority, but he did say, I give you power over all the power of the enemy. That authority that rested on the firstborn son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, has passed to every other born again, blood washed child of the almighty God who has received the spirit of God and the word of God into your life. You have authority over situations and circumstances in your life. You can speak with the word of faith and expect change to come to pass. And when things don't happen the way you want them to happen, you still emerge victorious because of your faith. Because whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is that that overcomes the world, even our faith. First John chapter five, verse four. So the authority of the father has passed to us. First, it came from the Father to the Lord Jesus, and then from the Lord Jesus to you. Thank God we have power. We have authority over all the authority of the enemy. Then secondly, the firstborn son inherited priestly access into the presence of God. See, when Abraham was alive, he had this intimate contact with the Creator, he received revelation. He received divinely unctioned insights into the plan and purpose of God for his offspring and for his own life personally. He had this connection with the Almighty. Well, you don't really find Isaac or Jacob having these kind of encounters until after the patriarch before them passes. And then this priestly access to God, this connection, this intimacy, the word priest in the Hebrew is Kohen, and it means one who has access into the presence of God. And that passes from one to the other. Well, Jesus was the great high priest. And when he perished, he passed the priesthood on to every single child of God. The priesthood is not some elite few that can be our mediators to help us get to God. According to the Bible, every blood-washed child of God is a priest. We're all part of a royal priesthood. We're all part of a holy priesthood, 1 Peter 2.5 and 1 Peter 2.9. Then thirdly, a prophetic mantle passed from the father to the son and from that father to the next son down through the patriarchal line. Whenever this mantle was passed, then prophetic insights would come to the next person in this chain of command, so to speak, concerning future purposes of God. And I believe if we are in the church of the firstborn, these three callings that rested initially on the Lord Jesus Christ, 
He walked in the authority of the Father. That's the king anointing. He flowed in intimacy with the Father. That's the priestly anointing. And he spoke as a prophet, an oracle of God to this world. And that is the prophet anointing, king, priest, prophet. These three are one. And they came together in perfect unison in the firstborn son of God. But when he ascended to heaven, just like the mantle fell from Elijah to Elisha, the mantle of the firstborn son status passed to the church. And the church was birthed on the day of Pentecost. It was birthed with prophecy. It was birthed with authority. It was birthed with priestly access to God. It was birthed in this amazing display of supernatural power where the Holy Spirit, like the sound of a rushing mighty wind, came into the upper room and cloven tongues of fire appeared over them. And they became pillars of the truth in a world full of deception. You are the church of the firstborn. This is such an amazing thing to contemplate, to ponder that you have been given this status of acceptability that puts you on the same level with every other person in the body of Christ who is truly right with God. The Bible said if we compare ourselves among ourselves, we are not wise. And far too often, child of God, you compare yourself to other people who seem to be accomplishing more with their lives or other people who seem to be more gifted than you or other people that seem to have greater advantages in life than you that position them in a place where they are more successful or more victorious you feel somehow slighted. You feel somehow overlooked. You feel that somehow you just don't measure up to that par. You just don't measure up to that standard. But I am telling you, you're a part of the church of the firstborn. From heaven's perspective, the simplest, humblest, most insignificant, most unknown child of God is just as important to the choir of heaven's angels as the one whose name is known worldwide. You have been bought with the blood of Jesus. You are part of an ecclesia. That's the word that is translated church. It means called out ones. You are called out of insignificance, called out of self-degradation, called out of of depression, dejection, and misery, called out of the bondage of the flesh into the liberty of a relationship with God that will cause you to pass from time into eternity with absolute victory. What an inheritance God has given you. You are part of the church of the firstborn. Thank you for listening to Discover Your Spiritual Identity with Mike Shree, a podcast designed to cause a spiritual awakening in your life. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can go deeper into this amazing revelation of the names God has given His people by getting your copy of Mike Shree's book titled, Who Am I? Dynamic Declarations of Who You Are in Christ. We also invite you to visit our website, shreveministries.org, and sign up to be part of our global internet family, a group of on-fire believers who are bold to proclaim, I am who God says I am, I have what God says I have, and I will be what God says I will be.